Hello and welcome to the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. While the superior characteristics of wool over other types of fiber may not be a secret to many of us in the sheep industry, every day there are new consumers who are discovering wool products for the first time. While sheep producers can certainly take pride in their role of growing wool, in reality, finished products are not possible without those who work tirelessly in the handling, processing, marketing, and messaging of this sustainable fiber after it has left the farm. Fortunately for us, today we have a special guest from the International Wool Textile Organization, Secretary General Delina White, who can share with us the finer details of the global wool trade and the importance of sustainability to both the producers and consumers of this fiber. Thanks for being with us today, Delina. Hi, Jake. So good to be with you. Uh, so true what you're saying there. We do have new consumers every day, and that's why we have to keep doing what we're doing. So as Jake said, my name is Delena White. I'm the Secretary General of the International Wool Textile Organization based here in Brussels. My background is that I trained as a designer in Cape Town, South Africa, where I worked in manufacturing and with uh, the retailers in South Africa. I also worked then with the local wool industry and helped uh, retail to find the special products which they were after in wool. So working a lot with farmers all the way to to retail and the manufacturing stages in between. And then seven and a a half years ago, I joined Aritio here in Brussels, Belgium. Awesome. So can you share with us a little bit of the role of of IWTO in the wool industry and and also... How is the American sheep industry involved? It's interesting, Jack, because IWTO is actually the only organization that I know of that represents a global fiber industry like we do. So IWTO is a not-for-profit member organization, and it represents the global wool industry from sheep to shop. And we have two membership categories. The one is a national committee, and the others would be associate members. And ASI manages the IBTO National Committee in North America. Now, to to dive more into maybe sustainability, what are the key attributes of wool that make it a, a sustainable fiber? Well, I know you have a time limit on what you are doing here today, so I'll try and keep it short. But we yeah. we are very passionate about our wool and, and why it's so sustainable. So I'll, I'll just um, highlight a couple. Wool is the ultimate circular fiber, and here, especially in, in the EU, we, we're all after a circular economy at the moment. We need to uh, reduce the consumption of virgin fibers. So we believe wool has the solution for the circular economy. It's been created by nature to be completely renewable, biodegradable, and natural, which is really important. And of course, wool's higher value ensures that consumers take better care of their wool garments, reducing the footprint of a garment, as proven by our wool LCA studies. And wool textiles require less cleaning, resulting in a lower carbon footprint during the use phase, which is also very important uh, for our planet. And then lastly, wool textiles do not shed microplastics during manufacture or during cleaning and use garments readily biodegrade in soil and water, therefore not adding to the current textile pollution crisis. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to get back to uh, a question on the LCA in, in just a minute. But before we before we go to that, uh, and maybe this next question is, is actually too simple, but in, in what ways is wool used throughout the world? And, and maybe what proportion of wool is used f- to make textiles versus other products? And that is also almost as long as the, how long is a piece of string because we've just seen wool plasters being developed. We see wool in surfboards. We see amazing wool furniture. But um, I can tell you that wool currently forms about 1% of global fiber consumption. So it's really small in the textile world as such. Merino wool specifically is used for fine wool garments um, and that forms about 45% of the global wool clip. So wool can be used to dress athletes, astronauts, and fashionistas as it performs well under all conditions. Um, Developed by Mother Nature, the wool fiber keeps us cool and comfortable during difficult circumstances, and the fiber keeps its shape and form longer, and therefore the garments are so valuable. And that ensures good quality and longevity in formal wear. And the wool fiber also acts as a filter when we use it in interior textiles. And the scientists tell us that it absorbs VOCs and other harmful chemicals from the air in our very well-insulated homes. So that sick home syndrome, wool is um, a good solution for that. And recent studies have shown that wool bedding improves sleep quality in all age groups, from babies to adults. And especially in menopausal women, which was really an interesting um, breakthrough in science. So really a, a really a wonder fiber. It is. In, in what ways can wool be recycled? Well, the short answer is in so many ways. Okay. And um, our office has received so many requests from retailers looking to source uh, recycled wool. So we've actually published a list of IWTO members who offer recycled wool and yarn fabrics, and you can find that on our website at iwto.org. But wool has also been successfully recycled since the late 1800s, so the, the production method is really established, and it forms an integral part of the recycling industry globally. We've just had our first associate member joined who specializes in recycled wool, and they call Datini Fibers, um, also our, our first member in Pakistan. So really a, a good um, wide variety of recyclers of wool available in the world now. Okay, that's really cool to hear. Now, can you explain the various manufacturing steps once roll, uh, raw wool has, has left the farm uh, before it is on the retail shelf? And here it's again, wool is, you know, so versatile. It can be handled in many different ways, depending what we want to make with it in the end. But um, the simple methodology would be that it has to be uh, washed. It has to be normally combed if it is going into a, a yarn. So then it will be combed and spun into yarn. From there, it could be knitted or woven into fabric and garments. But we also see the recycled wool um, being made into non-woven products, such as insulation. So it really depends what the end use of the wool um, is going to be. Sure. Now, for us here in the United States, the the vast majority of the lamb that we produce is consumed domestically. Uh, It never leaves the country. 
However, the wool trade is much more global. Can you explain some of the major areas where wool is processed around the world uh, as it becomes a finished product? Well, we estimate that about 75% of the global wool clip goes through processing in China. And a big part of that process wool remains in China because they have a very active um, and wool um, understanding local market. They, they sell a lot of that wool in their domestic market. But then the rest is obviously exported to Europe and the US in yarn or garment form. And we're also seeing quite a, a big growth in, in, um, in India and other Vietnam, Cambodia, other areas of manufacturing that's um, stepping forward to say, okay, we, we are specialists in wool as well. So again, depending what you're looking for, some of the yarns are specifically from certain areas. Sure. Now, because wool may take uh, several international stops, what are the benefits and challenges of traceability throughout the production process? Well, traceability is simply crucial to many of our retail partners in the global wool industry. And our members have been innovative in finding ways to trace wool from the auction floor to the shop floor um, and sometimes even from the paddock to the shop floor. Sure. RWTO has also published a list of traceable wool suppliers available on the website. And traceability offers consumers a clear picture of where their wool comes from, which we think is a great benefit to our industry. And we also see that our retail partners enjoy having that story um, and being able to, to speak about it, being able to show a consumer this is what the path, this is the path my wool fiber followed, this is the farmer and maybe even the sheep that it comes from. And I think we've we've taken this challenge um, by the horn, so to say, and 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 we're doing really well with it. And and I would love to see that other fibers and especially man-made fibers would step up to the plate and say, okay, we also are going to open our pipeline and allow our consumers to make better informed choices because that's what it's about. We're making a very opaque pipeline uh, crystal clear so that a consumer can make an informed decision. And I think traceability is, is a big um, opportunity for the wool industry. Sure. So, so wool is really leading the effort in kind of telling its story there. I believe so. Yeah. Now, how has wool processing and, and product manufacturing changed over time to become more sustainable? Well, there's been some huge changes, even from just when I joined the industry to see how the uh, manufacturing side has cleaned up the act um, and I was in denim manufacturing and, and I used to see those indigo rivers in Bangladesh um, and all of that has been cleaned up to a big extent and, and obviously also in the wool industry. Um, the industry has adapted to legislation regarding harmful chemicals and these have been replaced by eco-friendly options. Our industry partners are also embracing the journey to change from black to green energy. And I can see that in, in almost every part of the um, pipeline where I am lucky enough to pay a visit. Um, our, our members are, you know, going solar, wind, um, recycling water, uh, recycling water plants are being installed. And the machinery that our wool fiber um, passes through have just evolved over the years tremendously. And we go to fairs like ITMA. And the, the machine manufacturers will show you that these machines are just literally measuring every, every part of, 
of that stage of, of manufacturing and they can tell you exactly how they're saving energy, how they're saving water and how they have evolved over the years to do this better and better every time. So it's great to see this development happening um, on the manufacturing side. Sure. Yeah, it, it absolutely is great to hear about uh, those changes. What What are the challenges that uh, the industry has experienced while undertaking these these changes or these efforts? Money, <laughs> investment. Yeah. It's not cheap. Sure. You know, your older machines were always, um, you know, it, it's difficult to replace them with, with new technology. And that's where we, the industry also really strives to be innovative, to be able to update all the machines, you know, without just replacing them completely. But then also just listening to the scientists and and following um, the rules from uh, countries where we have like the REACH um, application where we we have phased out um, harmful chemicals under the REACH uh, directive. So I think members generally have really embraced um, going forward. We know we want our planet to be in a better shape than it is now. Um, and the challenges are, are often financial, um, but I can see that um, our members are really keen to embrace those changes. Yeah. And and kind of leading on with thinking about the, the value of that investment, what has been the response from retailers or end consumers to these changes? Yes, and, and that's interesting because I think our retailers um, have been paying a lot more attention to um, to decarbonizing their pipeline, basically. Mm-hmm. And for them to do that, they they have to work down the pipeline to each part of, of the process. Um, and it's now a part of their sustainability project. So they want to decarbonize their pipeline and therefore they move um, down the pipeline and, and speak to our members. I'm not sure the end consumer is really that well informed yet, um, but it's definitely coming. We can see that the young uh, generation X and Z are saying, okay, we want to know what the impact of this garment is. I was just with my son on the weekend and he bought two blazers from a a vintage store instead of buying it new. So um, they are really considering the impact of of their textile purchases a lot more. Um, And I think that that will work through the pipeline for sure, the demand. Sure. Yeah. Now, do you foresee uh, any more changes uh, on the horizon in regard to the way that wool is processed? I think it's it will, it's ever-changing. If I look at the, the machine manufacturers every year, there are um, changes, um, adaptations to just reduce the footprint of the manufacturing process. So I think we're, we're nowhere near the end of this um, pipeline change uh, we'll see more changes coming. And it's just a question of being more efficient. It's a question of reducing your footprint in manufacturing. And we hear about reducing water and energy consumption all the time. We hear about machines getting more and more clever. Now we have AI on the scene and machines even being able to fix themselves when they have a little problem, they they sort of stop and, and, and negotiate with, with another part of the machine to get that fixed. <laughs> it's yeah. quite, it's a very funky, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, I'd like to ask you a bit about the wool life cycle assessment uh, that was just completed. Uh, let's start with what the LCA even is and what were the goals of this project? So the wool LCA took the study was undertaken by the LCA TAG, which is part of our Sustainable Practices Working Group at IWTO. That particular study took seven years to complete, and I think that's something that 
that's um, first and foremost something we need to understand, that an RCA is not necessarily a scientific study, but we have chosen to make it one. We have chosen to make it uh, an in-depth study, and we also chose to publish it in, um, in a reputable publication where it was peer-reviewed. And I think it's very important for consumers to understand that one LCA is not the other, um, and that LCAs can vary uh, dramatically according to where you set the boundaries. So where you start measuring and where you stop measuring. Those are really the important aspects of a life cycle assessment because, again, how long is a piece of string? So where are you going to start measuring and where do you stop and then how do you allocate those impacts? Um, so good to know that it took us seven years to complete this one. And we found with the LCA of wool, which we very much anticipated, but it was proven, that the most important aspect remains the use phase. So um, we have often seen LCAs being um, limited to just include up to the shop front. And then once the consumer walks out with that product, the LCA measuring stops. And this is really where the big impact happens because the consumer has all the power to reduce the impact of that garment and in fact by as much as 70% according to our LCA by simply using it for longer. And it's a very simple, um, I think a simple ex example was um, one of the LCA technicians says it's, it's like having that um, favorite wool jumper that, that comes out in, in winter and that you just want to live in day after day versus your wedding dress. Um, and I for sure cannot fit into my wedding dress anymore. And I, I, I wore it once and then a friend used it once so that the poor thing has been worn twice um, uh, in 30 years where my, my wool clothes come out of the cupboard a lot more often. And that is that is the impact. That's how we, we create an impact on, on our planet by just using things more, keeping them for longer, taking being better care of it. And of course, because of um, the value of our wool garments, we tend to not throw it in a corner. We tend to hang it up. We tend to air it and not wash it that often. All of those are very important impacts on our planet. And that's that's what the LCA really highlighted for us. Sure. So I, I think you might have just answered my question, but uh, how, you know, how will the information that you found or, or learned from this life cycle assessment, how will that be used to promote wool products? Yes. It, uh, on the one side, we say the consumer has the power. Um, the RCA shows that consumers can make the difference um, by just simply keeping their garments longer. But the LCA also for us highlighted the shortcomings of um, the methodologies underpinning regular LCAs. And that is that an LCA always just captures the negative impacts. So um, it has no space. It doesn't allow to reflect any of the positive impacts of wool and sheep farming on our environment. Um, and that is one um, highlight that we are definitely communicating also here in the in the PEF process, in the legislative process, is that LCAs are, are handy tools, but you must be very careful how you use them and in fact, ISO makes it clear that you should not use an RCA to compare one fiber to the next. Um, an RCA is very much um, done according to the limitations of the, the fiber you're doing it on. And um, I think that's one of the, the stumble blocks we've come across 
as you dig into the methodologies so that there are shortcomings to RCAs. Sure. So are, are LCAs uh, an accurate indicator of, of the sustainability of, of not just wool, but of different fibers? Um, difficult question because in the case of, of man-made fibers, maybe in the case of natural fibers, not so much because there's so many positive applications that we need to consider and, and the LCA just not the methodology, the standard methodology doesn't allow for it. So we believe a more holistic approach is necessary to understand the full impact of uh, negative and positive um, impacts of textile fibers. We also need to consider the health of our soil, the health of our water and air. As scientists are telling us, those are hot spots in the environment at the moment. Um, so it really is important that we don't just hang on to the LCA result and, and make all our decisions according to that. It's one of the tools that can be applied, but we need to keep um, a logical mind about us. And, and wool sheep farming makes the perfect partner to regenerative farming practices, which we now see is, is a huge drive going forward. I think uh, we are agreeing um, on the scientific level that sustaining what we have on this planet at the moment is not good enough. We will definitely have to do better. And that's where regenerative agriculture comes to play. And storing carbon in grasslands and in the wool itself um, makes wool farming acts like a, a carbon sink for the environment. And none of that gets captured in an LCA. We also need to measure biodiversity and socioeconomic impacts of uh, natural fiber industries. And those are also not included in RCAs. And of course, none of the negative impacts of uh, man-made fibers are accounted for. So here we, we don't uh, measure the plastic part of the fiber. We don't measure microplastic release. So it really, the RCA is not a, is not a reliable tool to compare one fiber to the next. Now, as it stands, uh, it is my understanding that that the LCA that was just completed gave rise to uh, the EU's PEF project for apparel and footwear. Can you explain what that is? So the two are not directly connected. Um, when we did the LCA, we were still part of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition uh, working group on on um, achieving a some methodology for environmental footprinting of textiles. Um, the the EU PEF was really a product environmental footprint process was really uh, started by the Commission to deal with uh, the textile pollution problem and to come up with a methodology to inform consumers um, going forward on their textile purchasing. Now, the PEF as such has been used as a methodology before. This is textile and footwear, but in the past it's been used to... to uh, measure, for instance, white goods. So if you go into a shop and you want to buy a washing machine, you can find a certain rating on the washing machine. And according to that, you can decide, you know, what you're prepared to pay for, because often the green rating is more expensive. But with a green rating, you would see that it uses less water or it uses less electricity. It, it's, there's something about it that's that's better than the red rating. And the same, for instance, on tires. So if you buy tires for your car, you can find the same kind of rating. But for all those PEFs in the past, they were comparing the same starting product. So, in, for instance, in in this in the case of uh, a fridge, it would be the metals and and the the wires that go into it, and most of it would would be for mined 
products that come from a mine origin, a man-made origin. This textiles and, and footwear PEF is the first time they're trying to use this methodology to compare products that come from mine origin to products that come from a farm origin. And they've just found um, there's a huge a gap in the methodology when we start doing that. And it really can skew uh, the result. And, and we worry uh, in a negative way for natural fibers. So um, wool and, and all natural fibers are currently me measured to this according to this flawed system. And we're just measuring negative impacts. Um, but on the flip side, man-made fibers are not being held responsible for plastic pollution. And this creates an unlevel playing field. Um, so the system will always disadvantage wool and all natural fibers, quite frankly, not only wool. Anything that comes from a farm will be marked red, basically. Yeah. Ooh, that's tough. So, yeah. so how has IWTO and, and its members had an impact on the, the PEF process? Well, we, we got involved quite early, about um, three and a half years ago now. And we secured a seat at the table of the Technical Secretariat, which is the um, the group that makes the decisions about these impact categories of the PEF. Um, and at the same time, about three years ago, we also reached out to other natural fiber bodies around the world, global bodies that represent silk, alpaca, moe, linen, flax, other natural fibers in our industry. And we launched a campaign called Make the Label Count. Um, three years ago here in Brussels, because we we can see that whatever we're going to be, the result of this PEF process will, will result in some form of uh, measurement that will be communicated to a, a consumer. So it could be a, a swing tag, it could be a QR code, it could be a label. But we, what we're saying is if we communicate that, then we must make sure that it's correct and it's based on scientific evidence. And to just say that it's based on LCA does not equal scientific evidence. Um, and through this campaign, we've highlighted the fundamental flaws of the current PEF system and why it does not give us a level playing field. And we also say that we need more than pure LCA methodology. So, so you've described what IWTO has, has done. What can the industry do to ensure that natural fibers get an equal footing uh, or get as equal footing as possible uh, in regard to these regulations and, and policy? I think we must understand and accept that, that our legislators are really um, acting in good intent. They can see there's a huge issue. Um, the Commissioner of the Environment said we, we have a massive uh, textile pollution problem to deal with. And when you deal with pollution, you have to go to the origins. So they understand they need to curb this uh, fast fashion um, problem that's creating all this textile waste. In fact, he said um, just the other day that he wants to see fast fashion become past fashion. Oh, so they have really good intent. Um, there's never been legislation written for the textile industry. It's always been self-regulating. So I think this is super important that we get um, some legislation on the table. And, and as with big tobacco, nicotine, uh, yeah. plastic, single-use plastic, all the rest of these um, difficult topics, it does take legislation um, to deal with the origin of the problem. But um, at the moment, the, the legislators maybe don't understand to what extent the process has been hijacked by big retail. And, of course, it's in big retail's um, best in. Um, best um, 
intent to to keep the business model that we have at the moment. Um, so it, it, these are hard and difficult conversations. There are many nuances, and and we really need to make sure we get it right. And therefore, I would recommend um, all IWTO members and and all industry members to reach out to their own legislatures um, in their own countries to make sure they understand the textile pipeline, they understand what goes into textile manufacturing and um, how the process can be hijacked if they're not careful, so that we base on science and not just on economic influences. Sure. Okay, I might uh, change gears just a little bit here with my questioning. How have certification programs changed the landscape in regard to the marketing of wool to retailers? Yeah, certification has been a bit of um, a difficult one. And in, in the beginning, certainly it was very hard for many of our members to deal with because it does bring with it a huge amount of logistics and paperwork and all the rest of it. And we always say uh, the best fertilizer for a farmer's land is the footsteps of the farmer. You know, the farmer shouldn't be sitting in the shed filling in, you know, realms of paper and, and ticking boxes and all the rest of it. But at the same time, it has also given um, our retail partners um, very interesting stories. And that, that brings us back to the traceability. You can't really certify if you can't trace. But at the same time, it has um, encouraged our retail partners to really understand where their fibers come from, to really make a connection back to farm again, because many of our retail partners, um, brand managers are in the 20 to to 30 um, age gap where they actually have never been on a farm. They don't understand how food and fiber is really produced. So um, I think the certification schemes give retailers the opportunity to tell stories, which they are very keen to do. I think if we embrace whatever, which one we think works for our area, and there are various certification schemes to choose from, but I think it's good for industry um, to embrace one or two in an area and then really make it work for them and support the farmers on the ground, support the industry members to really make it work through the pipeline. And that enables the retailer to sell the to sell the garment, maybe even at a premium, because it has a story, and our consumers do enjoy that. Sure. Now, can you provide some examples of of how these programs or one or two of these programs have have been really successful? And then maybe on the flip side, any examples of where they've been less successful? I'll start on the flip side because we're getting a bit of. Um, I think we're getting a bit of certification fatigue from the industry at the moment. And this has come from both retail side and manufacturing side, um, where people are just saying, quite frankly, the the consumer, you know, doesn't need this many. (laughs) The consumer needs a story or or something that tells him we've taken care with, with the product, but it's not necessary to have 12 certifications. And some of our farms have to go through five audits a year asking basically the same questions. So we've been hearing this from our members for a while, and we started a little working group, um, which is now uh, taking care of, we call it the uh, Sustainable Standards Task Team, and they're just having a good look at at what's out there. We are not, IWTO does not get involved in certification schemes, but we do get involved in standards, standards of selling wool, standards of trading wool, um, quality of wool, and maybe it is time that we just streamline um, the certification 
um, scheme world a little bit and offer our members a chance to uh, just maybe focus on a couple that work for them and then take it from there. And we're working with all the big players in the certification scheme um, arena. So it's um, all the all the ones that are mostly used are taking part in this program. Program, and we we hope to have something to look at by next year where we can say, okay, let's let's just narrow it down to what really needs to be in a certification scheme for wool, and and what our consumer and our retailer really are looking for. And then I think the on the flip side, on the positive side, um, those. Um, Brands that have embraced the certification schemes have seen their products uh, sell better, sell quicker. Um, and on, on the farmer side, we do get um, a premium for wool under certain of those certification schemes. So, of course, it will make a difference to our farmers. If, if they see it in their pocket, they will make the trouble to, um, to tick the boxes and, and fill in all the information. And our farmers are very proud of what they're doing. It's just a question of streamlining it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in what ways has the wool industry been successful at educating the consumer about the benefits of, of this natural fiber? And in what uh, areas is further education still needed? I think you were so clever with your with your opening statement, because in the wool industry, we often feel oh, we've covered all of these subjects, you know, we've covered biodegradability, we've covered uh, recyclability, all of this stuff. So now the work is done. And we forget that the front side, uh, we're, adding, we're adding new wool consumers uh, every week, right? Um, yeah. And we have to keep doing this. And we have to evolve in, in how we pitch our messages to our consumer as they evolve. I think that's something that we sometimes overlook. Um, and something that we really have to focus on is to where is the market going? How are they shopping? Why are they shopping like that? And what information they need from us at this time um, to make them understand the benefits of wool. And if at this time it's about recycling, then, you know, we need to give them the recycling. We've, we've just done an LCA on a recycled wool garment, so that's available as well. Um, but we need to adjust our messaging, and, and we cannot stop. And, and the IWTO really uh, focuses on uh, the scientific side of things. So if we say wool is biodegradable, how do we prove that? How do we substantiate that? That is what we focus on. And then our marketing partners, the Walmart company and the Campaign for Wool, they take those messages further and they make um, retail-friendly um, information packages from that. And they work with the retailers, with the brands, with with the marketers to find those points of difference that they can use uh, for their own markets. And, al and also our members, they each have a, a different angle in each country. You have a different angle on how you want to market your wool, but we need to keep those basic scientific evidence um, directives in place. So people can refer back to the scientific evidence when they make their marketing, um, when they put their marketing messages out there. Sure. Now, I'm not necessarily asking you to predict the future here, but where do you see the demand for wool and wool products in 10 to, to 20 years? It is really, if you ask me this, um, just um, coming out of COVID, it would have been a, a, you know, a really clear positive message. With the um, geopolitical issues we have in the world at the moment, um, I, I just see the consumer confidence being so 
depleted and so depressed at the moment. And it's um, it's really a, a nasty trading environment that we, we find ourselves in. But if I, if I ignore that and I look back to why I love wool and why I love working in this industry, I believe the only way is up. There is, for me, no other way because if you think about it logically um, and clinically, you understand that the wool sheep grows wool uh, year after year like your own hair. It doesn't take extra out of the soil. It doesn't put extra into the environment. It's simply as a natural process like it has been doing for millions of years and it gives us a wonderful natural product that's been developed to protect our bodies under all circumstances warmth cold um, danger fleeing from the wolf all of that is built into this magical fiber and um, we are um, now King Charles, the patron of the uh, campaign for wool, often say, you know, the, the clever boffins in the laboratories have been trying to mimic the um, the wool attributes for years, but they just can't get it right because it's so special. And I believe that our consumers will see the value and they will be prepared to pay for it. Now, while the audience of this podcast is diverse, we have a substantial number of listeners who are directly involved in wool production. Uh, I'm going to be purposely vague here. What is your message to them about the type of and way wool can be produced to best maximize their profits as well as the quality of their raw product? I think we, we need to be clever. We need to understand who we're competing against. Um, we will never be the cheapest fiber on, on, on the market, but we are not by far the most expensive, expensive either. Um, and I think wool has got that ability to, to go into from carpets um, all the way up to fine wool suits. And there are very few fibers that can do that. It's got such a wide range of applications. And we have to find the application we have to know the market, what they are looking for, why they are looking for it. We have to understand our market and then breed accordingly. And, and we know that our farmers are scientists on the land. They can change breeds. They can change practices. They can change um, qualities as it fits their, their market. And um, I just think we need to be clever about who are we trying to sell to and, and what those people want from us. And then it's about taking care. It's having that pride in, in what you are putting out in the market. It's taking the utmost care of your animal and of the fleece once you get it off the animal and how you sort it and how you prepare it for market. It's really about giving that attention to detail and quality aspect because we are selling quality. We are not selling fast fashion. We're selling quality stuff. And therefore, we need to pay attention to the quality of our fiber. Awesome. That's a great message. Now, as we kind of wind down, I've got one more question for you. Where can our audience go if they want to learn more about the wool industry and IWTO? I think our website is quite comprehensive. We try to put everything on there in a in an easy to find method. So it's www.iwto.org. But if you don't find it there quickly, then please email me on white at rwto.org and we will try and answer you as quickly as possible. 
All right, great. Well, that about does it for time, but uh, I want to reiterate how grateful we are uh, that you are willing to take the time to come on you know, the ASI podcast today and, and talk a bit about wool sustainability. Uh, and also, I want to extend a, a thank you on behalf of American wool growers for your efforts at IWTO uh, and the positive impact you've had on the industry. It's been a really great visit with you. Fantastic. Thank you. It's a wonderful opportunity to speak to you. Now, listeners, thank you, too, for tuning in. As always, I kindly ask that uh, you share this episode on your social media pages to help us reach more sheep enthusiasts. But until next time, eat lamb, wear wool, grow wool, promote wool, advocate for a sustainable sheep industry. Have a nice day.